All right, welcome everybody. This is Table Talk, your healthy theological radio addiction. My name is Brent Kuhlman. I'm here with Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. I serve uh, Trinity Lutheran Church just north of Murdoch, Nebraska, and these two gentlemen with me today, they serve Good Shepherd in Lincoln. If you're in Lincoln or in the area, stop by either congregation. Uh, you want uh, the teaching and the preaching of God's Word and its truth and purity? Boy, go, th- go to these two places and they'll, they'll, uh, they'll give it to you. By the way, this, uh, this came to uh, my mind uh, most uh, impressively uh, recently when we had visitors at Trinity Murdoch and of course they left before the service was over and when I followed up and asked them if they'd like to come back again the answer was a categorical no <laughs> and when I when I investigated this a little bit more well guess guess what really hacked them off right away it was the beginning of the service were you wearing your ballerina outfit again? <laughs> not, not that not that Sunday uh, where where you spoke I, for God and pronounced the forgiveness of sin no it was the fact that uh, it was such a downer that we confess oh. that we're sinners by nature and that we deserve God's temporal and eternal punishment it I was such Joel a downer I heard Joel Osteen preach that sermon one time yeah this guy was confessing his sins, and for a minute I actually thought I was a sinner too. <laughs> well, and this is Antichrist. Uh, by the way, that's a slick. That's one of the refined hey, that was, views of Antichrist. That was a very smooth way to get into the topic for the nice day, segue. Pastor. Well, you've been, you've been working on this. I didn't. I did. We didn't do. I didn't do very well. Let's put it this way: when I made this distinction p- between a crass denial of Jesus and a more refined denial, and now we've just given an example of a refined denial of Jesus in the flesh, who in the flesh redeems who? Flesh and blood sinners, you see. And he actually restores their humanity through the forgiveness of sins spoken by the mouth of a pastor or a fellow Christian. So this, this is part of the refined way of, of Antichrist. When you deny, number one, that you're a sinner, and then when you deny that you're a sinner, you don't need who? Jesus. Yeah, well, you so don't need a savior of any kind. Exactly. Or now see this gets flipped though, doesn't it? If you if you're not if you don't think you're a sinner. Now most people, you know, they're not they're not that crass. They won't they'll say, they'll put it this way. Well, I'm not perfect, Reverend. You know, don't get me wrong, Reverend. I'm not perfect, but I know I'm not as bad as so and so. And when you when you have that attitude, whether it's a refined view like that or a crass view, and you know, there are some who would be very crass and say I'm not a sinner. But when you run with either one of those, then you don't need Jesus as the Savior, and uh, that is Antichrist. Okay, now, let me give you another, another example of the, this refined uh, Antichrist thing that has been going on, not only from the time of our Lord's Day and the Apostles, but it really, really happened in the late 1800s. I think I got my days uh, dates right. No, late 1700s, pardon me. I always forget this man's dates in which he lived, but I can always remember his name. Uh, This man lived from 1792 to 1834. His name, Edward Irving, uh, from Scotland. Edward Irving taught a lot of false doctrine. He was defrocked as a pastor in the church, but then he started his own cult or sect, if you will. Now, I'm, I'm bringing this up, folks, to give you an example of a refined way that Antichrist works, the way that Satan works. Edward Irving, among many of the errors that he taught, and by the way, one of his big errors was, together we mentioned a name, these, these, the name I'm about ready to mention, these, these people are linked theologically in false teaching. John Nelson Darby, the father of premillennial dispensationalism as we know it today in, in the 19th, 20, and 21st centuries, with guys' names like Cyrus 
in, uh, Cyrus Schofield, um, Charles Walvard, uh, Charles Ryrie, you know, Hal Lindsay, and all the modern ones today. These, these are their fathers. Now, so Edward Irving taught this kind of premillennial dispensationalism like John Darby. Now, back to one of the main points I wanted to get to is Edward Irving taught about Jesus. Now, listen carefully, folks. Now, your, your eyes are just going to roll in the back of your head, Clint, when you, when you hear this. Edward Irving taught that Jesus took on a fallen humanity and was only kept from sin by the anointing of the Holy Spirit when he was baptized in the Jordan River. Edward Irving taught that there was no other way for Christ to be our head except taking on our sinful flesh. Now, what, what does he teach? That Jesus was conceived a as a sinner. Yeah. Now, this is a refined way of... So, so he had to uh, be a sinner to redeem sinners? That's the logic behind it? Mm-hmm. I think I was taught this when I was in a different church body in my childhood. And that would fit because, see, because Edward Irving is part of, the, part of the fathers of the restoration movement yes. of restoring the true church on the earth because, you know, it, it hasn't been on the earth for centuries. Now we're going to restore it. Edward Irving, John Nelson Darby, I, Charles Parham. If you're, I'm giving you more names than you ever wanted to hear, but this is this is this refined view of Antichrist in the church. Now, I'm going to say it again for the sake of our listeners. Premillennial dispensationalism again teaches that Jesus came to offer the Jews a 1,000 year reign on the earth, and the Jews rejected it. And so God put plan B into effect. What's plan B? Suffering, death, and resurrection. That's a refined view of Antichrist because that really wasn't God's plan. And you can't get any more Antichrist than that. Really. You can't. Now, all of that flows from guys like Edward Irving teaching falsely about Christ himself, etc., and also teaching, you know, from Ephesians where it says that God gave, gave, God gave, gave gifts to his church, namely apostle, prophets, apostles, uh, pastors, teachers. Remember that in Ephesians mm-hmm. 4? These guys also taught that uh, they're, the, they're, the, they're the apostles now, and this is now happening because the end is coming, and we're going to make the end happen. And even, we got way and, too carried away on this. And uh, isn't it ironic that uh, these uh, theologians that were easily discredited in their day. You said he was defrocked. Yeah. Uh, he, he did not live to be an old man and write lots of stuff. But just the fact that he had these teachings and he had a following, he's been gone for 200 years. But his teachings and the remnants of that false doctrine that he perpetuated continues on even to this day, taking on different forms, different shapes, uh, but but people glom onto that, and I think this is why we need to be so vigilant in the church today. Um, when when we hear, when we see this uh, false doctrine and false practice happening in the church, we need to be vigilant, and we need to confront that with God's word so that people have an opportunity to repent and be forgiven for their false teaching rather than let this cancerous false teaching spread and grow maybe even go dormant for a while but then rear its ugly head even more let me say if i may 
I want to say more about this Edward Irving and how even it's more. It's your show. You may. Well, <laughs> Edward Irving taught that there were three sacraments, baptism, Lord's Supper, and then another one. What might you guess would be the third? Anointing with oil? No. But it, it's an anointing, but it's not oil. Oh, no, anointing of the Holy Spirit. Exactly. Sealing is what they called it. Sealing. And so each was necessary. For Sealing with an S, not with a C. Yeah. And they called Edward Irving and his, uh, his followers, they called it the Holy Sealing. S-E-A-L-I-N-G. Not like C-E-I-L, okay? So it's S-E-L. The Holy Sealing, which is what they called the baptism in the... Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit or the Holy Anointing. And that, of course, is where the new birth of regeneration was dispensed only by the laying on of hands by an apostle. This is the Ephesians 4. And he was one of the apostles, see? And this is part of living in the end times, according to these people. And that's the only way it could happen. And what's here again, I'm saying a lot of things, and I hope you're picking up what I'm throwing down or smelling what I'm cooking here. Let me continue. This sealing or this holy anointing, not justification by faith alone. Did you hear what I just said? This sealing, this third, quote, sacrament of theirs, not justification by faith alone in Christ Jesus is what brings salvation to the individual. And even more, not just to a living individual, but even to one who is deceased. And so before Joseph Smith even taught baptism for the dead, Edward Irving was pushing it as well. Now, in, now, why don't we? Why have we? I've never heard of this guy before this program. Well, so, uh, why why are we not being taught? Because uh, it sounds like he's the uh, father source. of ma- source of many many different. Well, uh, this was part of the whole teachings. milieu because Joseph Smith is living around this time as well. This is the whole milieu, this whole restoration movement, etc. I, I think you haven't been taught about it, but I, and I don't know this man specifically who's talked about it, but there is a good episode of Word Fitly Spoken from the last week or the week before that talks about this um, this whole topic of what's going on, this milieu that uh, Kuhlman's talking about. So listen to that as well. Now keep in mind with Edward Irving, he taught, of course, that he and his, his other leaders that he knew, they were now the apostles that Paul spoke about in Ephesians 4, which is the presage of the second coming. And without having... Modern apostles, there can't be a second coming, all right? Now, connection with this, see, this, it gets worse. Not only does he deny justification by faith alone, but now we get to why all these false teachings and the denial of justification happens. Well, it's because if you're an apostle and you have an anointing, a holy anointing of the Spirit, guess what happens to the Word of God, the Bible? Don't need it. Well, they won't say that so crassly. But they've reduced it. There's a Bible reductionism, if you will, if I can talk like that. The Bible gets reduced, of course, to, well, that was good in that day, but now I'm an apostle, and now I have a holy anointing, and now the Spirit is speaking through me. So now I supersede the Bible as the Word of God. And see, this is, this is where you get then with Pentecostalism. You know, like the what do they call it? The third wave movement, John Wimber and C. Peter Wagner, etc. Signs and Wonders movement. This is what you have with. I'm speaking in general now with the mega church pastors who say that they have an anointing and that what they say and what they do because they're growing, etc. This is the work of the Spirit, and they are infallible. 
And guess what? You can go to these people and say, yeah, but pastor, the word of God doesn't teach that. And they'll say, but I am an apostle. I'm a living apostle. I'm full of the spirit. And now the impression is, listen to me and not this written word in paper. I'm a living word of God. See, this, this is antichrist because Jesus says that the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Peter said, when Jesus said in John 6, you want to go to? Peter says, no, 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 thank you, Lord. You have the words of eternal life. And this is why Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit, leading them into all truth, so that what we have written in the scriptures are the words of Christ, the revelation of God in Christ that we are to listen to. Is, isn't this what's going on? Uh, you, know, you talked about megachurch pastors and this uh, apostle movement. Isn't this what's going on in some of the liberal denominations? You know, We've talked a lot about the Methodist church. Uh, somewhere, somebody in the Methodist church has said, we have a better word than the written word of God, because we know that things that are condemned in the word of God are, in fact, good, like homosexuality, women's ordination, abortion. These things are good. So somebody decided that their words were better than God's word. And so this can happen individually, like in this apostolic movement, or denominationally where you know, people are voting. Uh, with a voting machine. Am I, am, I, yeah. am I right? Right, right. Okay. So I wanted to give people um, an example of how this works in the church. Now I'm going to whet everybody's appetite before we say goodbye. We're going to identify, according to Lutheran teaching, the Antichrist, capital A, next time. So hang on tight, folks. Stay Lutheran. It's the house. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Hey, welcome everybody. Welcome back. To table talk, our healthy, your healthy theological radio addiction. I get you wanted, confused. You wanted it to be over so bad. <laughs> you know, the old man, uh, the nursing home is just a day pass, and so it's getting quite late. Um, we were talking about uh, how these refined views, uh, uh, false teaching, uh, reveal Antichrist as Scripture teaches. I want to give you another example of this, and then we're going to move on as I teased everybody with the, who does the Lutheran Church identify, or with what does the Lutheran Church identify as Antichrist, capital A. Another example of this refined way of talking about it. Um, evangelism. I'm, yes, I'm going to go there. Evangelism. Now, you read the Bible, uh, in particular the New Testament, and especially the book of Acts, and you will see that when the apostles preach, they don't give personal testimonies. They don't reference themselves. But this is we're awash in this in the American church, in Protestantism even in the Lutheran church, where instead of proclaiming Christ, who objectively, objectively suffered and died and rose from the dead, eyewitnesses to that, these objective facts, extranos events and facts, what do we do? We go intranos, and we talk about my personal experience. Burning in the bosom. Well, the, see, that's, this, see this, is, this is part of this thing of Antichrist. Now, you said burning, that's what Mormons teach. That is. Now, here's my point. If you think 
that you're going to convince people apologetically that Christianity is the way to go just simply on personal testimony. I got news for you. The person who's paying attention is going to say, wait a minute, burning in the bosom. That's what Mormons teach, personal experience. Hinduism, same thing. In other words, almost all the other religions in the world go this direction, intranose <coughs> direction. So my point is, is that even with the topic of evangelism, can go the way of Antichrist. In what way? That Christ is replaced with who? Me. My feelings, my emotions, my experience. Yes. Me, me, me. Yes, yes. I once was an alcoholic, and now my life has been turned around, and therefore, this makes Christianity true. And in opposition to that, in the book of Acts, they always go back to Jesus rose from the dead after you killed him. I mean, and that's the thing, that's the crux on which everything hinges. Did he rise from the dead? If so, then everything he said is true, uh, and uh, the things that he promises for us are true. And he did rise from the dead, and there's, I mean, there's really no way to argue against that fact. I think Gary Hoppermoss is very good on that particular subject. That's something that we can preach as well. Jesus rose from the dead. That's why Paul says in Colossians 1, him, namely Jesus, is who we proclaim. Not me. Paul doesn't preach Paul. Peter doesn't preach Peter. Coolman had better not preach Coolman. And even when Paul does preach Paul, say, uh, after he's converted, he talks several times, uh, three times in the book of Acts, in fact, about his conversion experience. What he's actually saying is, Jesus showed up and said this. It's not well, I decided to change my mind. Or Peter, when the sheet came down from heaven, three times he recounts that as well, his own personal experience. But what is he saying? Jesus said this to me when these things happened. It's not, I decided this, or I feel this, or I'd really like if this were the case. It's always, this is exactly what God says to me. Yeah, so. I have resolved to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Well, and again, just to... Just to Preach that at my funeral. To clinch this point, folks... I'm not against evangelism. Don't misunderstand what, no, what no, I'm teaching here. No true Lutheran is. Right, but see, that's what happens is when I talk about this. Then all of a sudden people say, oh, you guys are all... No, we're not against this. We're all for it, but let's do it correctly. Let's be faithful to the scriptures on this. And so we will proclaim Christ as the Savior. And I think that's what real evangelism is, right? Again, to go back to the book of Acts, what happens in Acts? They preach sermons, and the sermons are about Jesus crucified and risen, and in the sermons, they talk about baptism. So after they preach sermons, people say, well, I should be baptized, shouldn't I? And then they baptize people. And then the church gets together and has the Lord's Supper as a result uh, of Christ's institution of that. And so by preaching, baptizing, and the Lord's Supper, the church grows in leaps and bounds in the book of Acts. That's, and if you look at it, that's exactly what's happening. That's Acts 2.42. The early church devoted herself to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. It's, it's every conversion in yeah. the book of Acts. That's, yeah. 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 All right. Now, Clint, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh. Because, see, Lutherans are afraid to say what you're going to say these days. You're not afraid, so I'm going to, I'm going to go to you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, you're afraid, so you're going to make me do I'm it. I'm sore now. afraid. <laughs> <laughs> now, Lutheran, well, let me, let me preface it this way. That before the time of the Lutheran Reformation, many in the church said that there was a certain person or entity that was Antichrist. Even to this day, there are Roman Catholics who say that a so-and-so is the Antichrist. Now, before the, and that's the Pope, of course. Now, before the Reformation, many were saying that the papacy was the Antichrist mainly because of the immorality 
that was happening in Rome. Go on Netflix and watch some of these series about the popes in the 15th and 14th and 13th centuries. You, I mean, they're all X-rated, unfortunately. Like the Borgias. Yes, the Borgias. That's the one I was thinking of. And uh, so common knowledge. But Adam, when Luther shows up, he says, well, I'm not going to say the papacy is the Antichrist because of immorality, but why? Because of its false teaching. All right. So, Clint, according to the Lutheran Church, who or what is the Antichrist, capital A, fulfilling Second Thessalonians 2? The papacy. Not just a person, but the papacy. Not, not an individual pope, but the institution of the papacy. Uh, Lutherans believe, teach, and confess. It's in our Lutheran confessions that all of the marks of Antichrist as taught in the Bible passages that we have um, uh, been going through, 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, 1 John 2, 1 John 4, all of these marks are fulfilled or are clearly evident in the institution of the papacy. Yeah, 2 Thessalonians 2, yep. Oh, I say first. That's all right, just to clarify. Uh, And... uh, you know, many people who are Lutheran will will understand or recognize the name Pieper. Uh, Franz Pieper was uh, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, president of the uh, seminary in Concordia, or in St. Louis, and his three-volume Christian dogmatics has been the standard dogmatics textbook in the seminary. Um, I had to read it. For... A long, long time. How about you, time. Adam? Did you have to read it? Well, yeah, we were supposed to read it um, in. We, we had three dogmatics class and I, uh, classes, and I think two of them you were reading it, and the other one uh, was focused on learning all the Latin words that are in there and the terms and what they <laughs> yeah, mean. Right. Oh, we know who we know who taught that class. Um, <laughs> but in volume three of Peeper, starting on page four sixty two, he just has a marvelous, marvelous treatment on this topic and it is not polemical or anything like that it just lays out all of the details first it does kind of a a study on the biblical text and then it shows how in the papacy all of these marks are fulfilled give us some uh, give us some of that then would you because Uh, i think it it, it bears repeating okay the uh, marks of the antichrist as described in detail second thessalonians 2 are these Uh, The position taken by the Antichrist is unqualifiedly called the falling away or the apostasy. Two, the Antichrist has his seat in the temple of God, that is, in the Christian church. Three, the conduct of the Antichrist corresponds with his sitting in the temple. He acts as if he were God himself. This is the Genesis 3 problem all over again, right? Correct. Yep. The uh, part four, the Antichrist is not Satan himself. He is coming after and is doing the work of Satan. Five, the Antichrist will remain until judgment day. The Antichrist is not a political tyrant or a manifest unbeliever or scoffer. These features here delineated are those of the Roman pontiff, or of the historical phenomenon we know as the papacy. And uh, again, uh, Franz Pieper, Christian Dogmatics, Volume 3, and I just read a couple of excerpts here from 462 through 464. And then he goes into great detail talking about um, not individual popes, 
We're not saying that every individual pope is going to be in hell, but that sitting in that office, and the office has the marks of the papacy. Uh, in the papacy, we have the most pronounced and greatest imaginable apostasy, the falling away of the Christian religion. Christians know that man is justified and saved only by faith in Christ without the works of the law. So faith plus works, uh, one of the tenets of Roman Catholicism, is there. Two, the papacy is found not outside but inside the Christian church, and the papacy is uh, the head of the Roman Catholic Church. Three, the pope refuses to subordinate himself to anyone. He insists that he is supreme in church and the world. He refuses to be judged by anyone. He expressly asserts his infallibility. By the way, just to just to say something, can I interject here? Absolutely. You know, this is why uh, Roman Catholic priests who know their stuff, when you talk to them in your own community, um, they will say explicitly that you uh, may be a fallen brother, but you're not church. Now, that may shock you, but that really is what they teach. And this is piggybacking on the papacy saying, I'm, I'm the head of the church, and if you're not hooked with me, you're not a part of the Christian church. Again, I'm going to repeat this. So in other words, the baptisms that we do, the Lord's suppers that we do, the absolutions that we speak are not valid. Do you realize that, folks? The ordinations, they're not valid. They're not valid according to the teachings yeah. in the Roman Catholic yeah. Church. Now, that may shock you to hear that, but that's, that's what they still teach. Yeah, I had... Uh, in North Dakota, many of my members ended up working at the convent. Um, the uh, the nuns would have them all work on Sunday morning so that they could go to the church and my members couldn't. But uh, they would always come back after talking to nuns, and the nuns would say to them that uh, the things happening in our church weren't valid because we didn't have the apostolic succession, succession. through yeah. Peter that was currently being distributed through Benedict or Frank uh, there and sitting on the seat in the temple in Rome. So. Yeah, so just to, again to repeat, so I'm a pastor in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, but they would say, you're really not. Why not? Because you're not, you weren't ordained by a proper bishop that is hooked with the Bishop of Rome. And so everything that I do as a, quote, pastor is really not valid in the sight of God. I uh, uh, had a past uh, Roman Catholic priest uh, while I was making a hospital visit. I was wearing my clergy shirt, and he asked me what uh, parish I was at, and I said, Good Shepherd Lutheran, 40th and Old Cheney. And he looked at me, and he shook his finger, and he said, It's guys like you that de that deceive faithful saints. Because we're pretending we're church. We're, we're yeah. pretending to be church. Yeah, when we're, we're really not. to be church. There's two more marks here, Pastor, and then, Please. Uh, in our time, so then you can comment. Uh and again, we're talking about the marks that show that the papacy has all the marks of the Antichrist. Uh, it is likewise common knowledge that the papacy, past, present, and currently, employs all manner of lying powers, signs, and wonders to bolster its rule. That's a hard one to say, and I'll just say, think of all the cover-ups with the uh, clergy sex scandals that have been going on for years and years and years. And finally, the last one. It cannot be denied that to this day the papacy has continued to be what it has always been. And even though it will never fully recover from the deadly blow belt, uh, dealt it by the Reformation, it continues. So, uh, we got about a minute left, Pastor. Well, let me, let me give you another example of how this fits the bill. Think of the Lord's Supper. 
Dr. Luther, I think it's in uh, the Small Called Articles, calls the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church on the Lord's Supper the abomination of desolation, quoting Daniel. Why would Luther say such a thing? Well, because Luther believed what Pieper taught. Pieper learned it from Luther. <laughs> and uh, the Lord's Supper's teaching by Roman Catholics is this, is that the Lord's Supper actually does the atonement. No, only Calvary does that. And I hear the music, so that just whets everybody's appetite. Now we're finally done with the program, so stay Luther, my friends. We'll talk again. 